Welcome to the Singerpreneur Podcast, a spectrum of ideas and realities around life and work in the classical vocal world. I'm Lori Goldenhirsch, and this podcast is a project of Lori's List, which has been serving singers, conductors, composers, organizations, and much more since 2002. This podcast explores big and small issues in the business of classical vocal and includes interviews, news, life hacks, and hopefully a whole lot of stuff to help and inspire you. Let's dive in. My guest today, Julian Van Eiken, is a dear friend, and he also lives multiple lives. Singerpreneurs know something about that. Julian is a scientist, a choral singer, and a budding composer, and manages to juggle the three admirably. His specific perspective, living a quite musical life while working a full-time, unrelated, real job, isn't actually unusual. Lots of people do that. But his path is not like the one most other musical people travel. So I've asked him to join us today to share some of those experiences. Julian, thank you very much for joining us. Hey, thank you for asking me on board. So let's start at the beginning. When did music start for you? (laughs) I was thinking about that. I think the earliest memories that I have of music per se in a really formal sense was probably back in either infant school or junior school when I first learned recorder so I would have been probably six or seven years old something like that I love that Um, and our headmaster took a few of us who either he thought would be interested in music or had displayed some interest and started teaching us recorder and started teaching us to read music as well and I think part of the draw at that point was that being able to read music in addition to being able to read words held like a whole (laughs) extra kind of mystique to it (laughs) I totally get that even then you have a sense that you're learning this different language right yeah yeah it was like this kind of magical I could read these runes that nobody else could (laughs) not quite Um, as cool as learning Klingon but yeah (laughs) (laughs) heading in that direction I love Um, that you grew up in a real musical family too Yeah, yeah. My mother was very involved in the um, English folk music scene. She was a clog dancer and did a a fair bit of singing as well and still does on that front. And my brother as well, definitely, he got pretty heavily involved in the music scene and kind of went that route, especially the folk music route. Played melodeon, plays guitar and sings a lot on that front. You started fairly young. What happened Mm -hmm. after that? What, What was your musical education like? It's so different in the UK than right, right, right. it was even at that time in the US. There's just a different mm. thing. Can you describe it for us? Yeah, I probably had a slightly unusual route even in the UK as well. Back in the junior school, I got involved in somehow without even thinking about it, just got involved in various drama productions and ended up in these kind of solo singing roles. I think that was my first exposure to singing. I never really thought a great deal about it, but which productions really stand out? <laughs> I played um, Thin Man <laughs> in The Wizard of Oz. I um, love that. <laughs> I did not um, know that. <laughs> I played a, you may know this, but there was a play about a rooster called Chanticleer. It's an old story. Yeah. But then I didn't think a lot about it, but then I, I went to middle school, you know, it was kind of our equivalent of high school. Mm-hmm. Um, it was actually a music school as well as cathedral school, actually on an academic scholarship. I went there for the academic side of things, having no particular sort of plans for the music, but naturally kind of got exposed to it. Mm-hmm. Um, the sort of short story is I, I ended up actually being involved in the music form. We, our year was split into four forms, you know, there mm-hmm. were three academic forms and then a music form where all the music people were. And I, I somehow essentially ended up in the music form. 
and got pretty heavily exposed to the music. I, to be fair, I was way out of my depth. I mean, the, most of the guys there were, you know, these are like young musician of the year kind of folks. And got it. I think there were only two of us in our class that were not pitch perfect. <laughs> Boy, One no of them pressure was, there. <laughs> right. It did give me a, a good exposure to the whole thing, of course. And I, I learned about the composition department, loved the sound of that and, and got involved in it. Ended up gaining a really good exposure to formal uh, music teaching then. You obviously got some fundamentals. Yeah, it was a big part of things. The other thing, the other memory that just came to me as I was thinking about this was, I think when I was like eight years old, I think the first blank cassette tape I ever bought, um, I was very excited to have this blank cassette tape. And the first thing I recorded onto it, it was the, um, the theme to Superman. I guess I got a microphone and just recorded it straight off the TV. <laughs> and oh. I listened to it over and over and over. And I, honestly, I think that was one of the biggest things for me that really got me kind of thinking I was fascinated by the harmony and fascinated by you know the orchestration and how this was constructed and how it worked and it was always kind of a fascination for me. That's one of the things that I mourn in the digital age is that I think young kids who are able to create music out of nothing you know you have an app there's nothing and then you hit record and then you've got something they they're they're missing out on, on a little element it's not essential but it's kind of fun that feeling of having a blank tape. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. That feeling of having so something that is sitting there waiting for to be recorded upon. Right. It's a very different yeah. experience in my mind. That's something that's really powerful. So let's jump ahead just a little bit. Tell us mm. what you do now. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, uh, when it, it came to finishing up in high school and looking at university, I, I, I had to choose basically whether I wanted to go the music route or the science route. That was my other um, big interest and the other thing that I I seemed to be decent at and felt comfortable in. And so I ended up pursuing physics and math and then astronomy, specializing in astronomy. Um, and long story short, I, I came out to the US to uh, grad school in astronomy. And that's what I'm doing now, full-time, working on the NASA Exoplanet Archive. For those of you who are curious, Julian is one of my dumbest friends. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so you ended up in this field that is, you know, it's very different from music, totally legit, yep. of course. And you and I have talked a lot about how art and science are really very intertwined in some ways. So it's not that surprising mm -hmm. that you might be good at both. <laughs> So you, after you'd been in astronomy, at what, at what point did you really decide to go back and start pursuing music again? I think you were singing throughout, mm. right? Do I remember that right? Yeah, I think that's probably true. Yeah, one way or another, I've been singing in choir since I was like 11 years old. That just always yeah. seemed to somehow happen on its own. I would just always end up in a choir somewhere or realize I was really missing it and find a choir. You know? Yeah. Um, and it was always in the back of my mind that I wanted to be studying composition and uh, writing music at the same time as pursuing the astronomy and the sciences. Part of the reason I went the science route is because that's where the money was and the stability, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I always wanted to pursue the music too. What I did was um, between grad school and doing a, a postdoc, I took a few months sort of sabbatical, went and did some volunteer work in Peru, went and, you know, explored crazy things just to kind of you know 
clean my brain out a bit, <laughs> reset. It was a really great time. One of the things I went, I did was to attend the Walden Summer School up in New Hampshire. I think it was like a week-long workshop, basically in music kind of creativity and uh, improvisation and writing music. And it was a really fantastic experience for me. It was um, very different from the formal academic background that I'd been exposed to back in England. I mean, this was like... Is it getting on for 20 years later now? You know, this is significantly <laughs> long time later. And so the field of composition had moved on as well. And I, I had not realized that. Yeah, so that's a big gap the, between those yeah. days. That particular 20 years, that's a big jump. This is what I'm coming to discover. <laughs> <laughs> and I found it tremendously freeing. And that was a lot of what the workshop was about, you know, being able to just express yourself improvising, doing whatever the heck, you know, and I loved it. It sounds like it was just the structure you wanted right then. Yeah, it was fantastic. And then I came out to California, came out to LA um, and found myself another choir. And I don't remember how I stumbled across the, the UCLA film scoring program, whether I was just decided I needed to look around online and see what there was or it's a little hard to not that. stumble across it when you live in right. LA. <laughs> right. the UCLA extension has got this really robust program for um potential film composers and yeah it's hard yeah. to be involved in music at all in LA and not know about it so I've been um, kind of just slowly picking off classes from that program for the last gosh, quite a few years now. And I've loved all of them. I've been learning so much from it. I'm, I'm beginning to build up a bit of my own studio now so that I can explore the music more. Uh, so in general, how's it going now? I mean, what are you aiming for at this point? We're not going to hold you to this, of course, but <laughs> do you plan to continue doing both, at least for the moment? I think, you know, in practical terms, yeah, that's that's the only way to move forward. Um, Lots really of people do it that way. I do want to keep exploring the music and keep pushing on that. Um, uh, you know, a clear goal right now is just to finish up the, the UCLA program. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> I think having said that, by the time I've taken all the classes I want to, I probably will have taken like three times as many as you actually need to, to complete the <laughs> <laughs> program. Are you upset about that, that though? Really? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> No, I am quite enjoying taking, I, you know, I just want to learn as much as I can. Like the, I just explore it and kind of see where it goes a little bit. Most of the music that I worked on back in, in high school, I worked a lot in the electronic studio that they had there and ended up helping manage the studio. Well, that must be useful now. Right. Yeah, it gave me a fantastic background. It's it's amazing seeing how much the technology has moved on since, I can since only the, imagine. the 90s. But I did love the electronic thing because there's an immediacy to working with it, right? You can you can lay down tracks and immediately hear what it sounds like. And you get you kind of get like an immediate payback for, for what you're working on. That is absolutely true. It's like music for those who need instant gratification. Right, exactly. <laughs> All right, that sounded um, more bitter than I expected it to. <laughs> <laughs> but it, that is one of the advantages of all this tech. We've got so many things that we can, that are actually possible now that just weren't when I was in school in yeah. the 80s. And it's a very different world. And of course, that has pros and cons. Right. So I, I was going to say on, on that front that the, the Paternoster is the first, this is a choral piece. It's the first time, the first real piece that I've written for straight up real quote instruments, if you can call voices instruments. Yeah. And 
I've been wanting for, for quite a few years now to, to get away from the electronic side of things and really write for real instruments because it's a whole different experience, you know, to me. And it's, it's, I love the idea of the, the little bits of exposure I have had to working with real musicians having performed music. It's an amazing experience. Absolutely. Um, well, I'm biased because, of course, I'm a singer. But <laughs> as a singer, I have to say, it is nice to see composers who are still interested in working with real people and real instruments because yeah, we have, you know, we have quite a few composers in LA who really just work the electronics. That's what mm, they're interested yeah. in. And they mm. might kind of insert something else from time to time, but yeah. I don't hear any passion about that. It's, it's almost like another gimmick. Mm -hmm. I suppose that, you know, it takes all kinds. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think there's a place for both, right? Um, yeah, that's yeah. exactly it. It seems like, especially in pandemic times when virtual choirs are becoming such a thing. Now the, the tech is allowing us to make music at all. Yeah, and that's absolutely. wonderful. Absolutely. And in terms of, of learning to compose and learning to write, you know, it does have the advantage that now sound libraries are so darn realistic that I can get a pretty good sense pretty quickly. I, I try to just stay away from the, even from the keyboard while I'm writing, really just write it as I guess Mozart and Beethoven would have had to once upon a time when they didn't have the advantage of all this technology. Yeah. So I tried to do that, but it's then great to be able to go to the computer and mock it all up digitally and, and get at least some sense realistic-ish sense for what it's actually going to sound like. And that really speeds up that sort of feedback loop, you know, whereas before you would have had to take an almost ready piece to an orchestra, get it played, listen really carefully, and then call your changes and then go and get it played again. You know, you cut down a lot of that time. And so I think in that sense, you know, I feel like I can learn a lot more, a lot more quickly um, that way. But at the same time, the risk is using it as a crutch, which is what I'm really trying to get away from. Yeah. Well, and I've also seen some composers who write entirely in isolation and they essentially write for MIDI and then they try to record with live musicians and can't figure out why they can't get exactly right. the same amount of control. And yeah. that doesn't work. <laughs> Fastest yeah. way to tick off a singer I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> well, and what I love about the idea of writing for real instruments is that it is kind of out of your control. You know, there's a point where you, you write this piece of music and then you kind of surrender it. It's like, giving birth to it and it's not yours anymore on some level you know screenwriters talk a lot about that as well you, yeah. you have to kind of write it and go okay here you go <laughs> right right that's got to be really yeah. nerve-wracking yeah and i don't have much experience with it yet <laughs> it's, a, it's well, a sort of terrifying thought but i think it's kind <laughs> of a wonderful thought as well i don't know at the risk of starting to sound kind of melodramatic about it but imagine it's like having a child right on some level the child is yours but at some point you have to let go of it and let it be its own thing as well yeah um, it's then a thing that's out in the world and it's not just something that the composer's done it's something that the performers are creating as well right it becomes oh. a collaborative act so um, where does that leave you now i mean do you have a specific timeline in mind for this or or does winging <laughs> it and kind of you know taking things step by step have its benefits I think, you know, I'm in a fortunate position that I'm, I'm in a secure enough place that I can afford to just stick my toe in the water a little bit at a time and see how it goes and play it by ear and, you know, see where things go. My sort of concrete goal, like I say, is to finish up the UCLA scoring program sooner or later. And I think about at some point moving to kind of half time 
or, or cutting back a little on the full-time job that I'm doing at the moment so that yeah. I can explore the music a bit more, explore the singing a bit more while I'm still young enough that my voice is, you know. In, in <laughs> there is always that. Father <laughs> time is a bastard. Well, okay. <laughs> so you and I met through choral music, specifically church choral music. What kind of music do you really love and listen to on your own? at this point you've got all of these different experiences mm. what what do you find yourself gravitating to gosh all kinds of things film music is a large part of it but all kinds of classical too and obviously a lot of choral music but across the board as well some jazz pop and rock and you know <laughs> little bits of everything. that's one of the things mm. that really surprised me once i got out of school and really started working as a classical musician classical musicians yeah. tend to listen to lots of things it's the classical mm-hmm. fans who will only listen to classical. Huh. And I find that fascinating. I think that's actually pretty healthy. We need lots of influences. Absolutely. It, it Absolutely. Feeds, even if we never work in another genre, right? you have to have a variety of sounds in your head in order to have any creativity at all. Yeah. Otherwise you're just regurgitating. Right, exactly. And especially when you're writing music, all these things kind of inform your language on some level. They all get integrated on some unconscious level, maybe in a conscious level as well, if you're really formally studying something. It all adds grammar and vocabulary to to the ways you have to express yourself. That's great. Okay, so here's the big question. If you had no limitations, if you could do anything you wanted, what would your life look like? (laughs) Um, you know I gotta be honest there's not a great deal I would change I feel pretty darn fortunate to be where I am and now we're licensed to all hate you yeah (laughs) right Um, no that's a great place to be (laughs) things have, have worked out in all kinds of crazy ways to kind of put me in a pretty great place in a completely ideal world if I had everything I could and money wasn't an issue I would perhaps be thinking about taking a year out to just focus on the music and really give it a chance and explore it, you know, or it'd be great to be able to switch to working half time right now. And, you know, it it is tough fitting in the learning and actually getting something written at the same time as holding down a full-time job. And honestly, especially with the whole COVID thing at the moment, I feel like I just need the extra downtime to maintain my sanity, you know? Um, Yeah, that makes sense. Because there are elements of work that are just generally more exhausting right now. Yeah. Yeah. People are feeling that in every field. You know, looking back, sometimes I wonder, did I push myself too hard in undergrad? A lot of undergrad, I was not very happy with the science that I was studying. And did I need to push myself through to finish it? Push that hard? Could I have changed and just pursued the music back then? But the fact is, things have still worked out. I'm, I'm now in LA and pursuing this fantastic music course and so you know, great. getting to sing with fantastic singers. And I feel very... Very lucky and very blessed. That's wonderful. So it sounds like you've got some classes in your future. You've got, yep. you've got some goals <laughs> and some stuff going on. Are you taking a class right now? Yes, I'm taking a score analysis class. We're studying with Steve Rothstein. He's a fantastic teacher. I think I've actually taken all the classes that he's offered. This was a new one that he's just started offering. We're studying hosts, um, the planets, which oh. is funny. When I was back at Wells Cathedral School back in England, um, in the music form, one of the things in our, our weekly schedule was that we would have like a couple of hours a week for listening to classical music. They had a, a oh, yeah. classical music library, which was just shelves and shelves of LPs. 
basically pretty much every every listening period i would go in there and listen to the planets <laughs> oh that's wonderful <laughs> over and over and there's it's a reason well there's a reason that piece has remained such a favorite with so many different kinds of people it's just intoxicating <laughs> it's fantastic to be able to look at it now and really pull it apart and see what makes it tick that yeah. sounds like a lot of fun for sure, for sure. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate your being willing to experiment with me since this is the beginning of our podcast and we're just getting started. Absolutely. Thank you for asking me. (laughs) Happy to have you with us. And thank all of you for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe for updates and we will see you next time. Get out there and make some gorgeous noise.